0: Good morning, afternoon, or evening, and welcome to the Bloody Disgusting Network. The following show is just horrifying. Beware.
1: Sheriff, you're not cheating on your wife if you eat my lemon square. Your lemon squares taste like
2: ass. And welcome back to Horror Queers. We're talking I'm on a first name basis with pussy. We're talking you got motherfucking amnesia now. And we're talking neon and fog. And I'm Joe. And I'm Trace. And we're talking nuclear
1: butts, (laughs) (laughs) y'all. true yes we are talking james bond the third death by temptation a film that uh, i mean it was brought to our attention way back in 2019 uh in our urban legends final cut episode and i was like i'd never heard of this movie and both you and our guest xena were like what Trace. it's awesome
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so actually joe why don't we take this opportunity to bring back that exact same guest huh
2: mm-hmm
1: all right everyone well you may know her as the real queen of horror which also happens to be the name of the blog and youtube channel that she founded she's also a filmmaker as well as the co-host of our sister podcast the bloody disgusting podcast a new show giving you all the latest updates in horror and as i mentioned earlier she is a, a return guest from our episode on urban legends final cut uh so basically she is a multi-hyphen of the highest order please welcome Zena dixon <laughs>
0: Hi guys! I'm sorry. I, I remember that episode we talked about urban legends, and oh my god, that was that was a good time.
1: It was so much fun, <laughs> so much fun, and we're back for this little gem of a movie. It's a better movie this time too. It is.
0: <laughs> yeah, there's no Natalie, so that's nice.
2: <laughs> no, but we do have a Joel, and I have thoughts on Joel. <laughs> yeah, I have some thoughts on Joel. I'm I'm hard K fan over here, mm-hmm. and. Yeah also temptress fan like i'm not gonna lie i i know xena you have a lot of thoughts about this movie and you are eager for like a remake or a sequel or something and i'm just like oh i would take a whole new film just following temptress right i guess in this case though uh, if we had a sequel
1: we'd be following the incubus Right, that is true. (laughs) Well, Zena, because this was a first-time watch for me and Joe, and so I'm excited to talk about this, but you are close with this film. I've seen you write pieces about this. So what is your relationship with Death by Temptation?
0: I am just so obsessed with this movie. (laughs) Uh, From the first time that I saw it, I mean, I watched it at an extremely young age, like maybe, er it was like the early 90s. Honestly, I think I was like four because, um, you know, my mom, we've talked about this. I'm not going to be, my mom's a horror fan. You already know that. But she <laughs> she is. Um, and I remember one one day she was, you know, watching this movie. And, you know, she would always give us the choice where it's just like, okay, you can either, like, stay in the room, in the living room, and everybody's there. Mm-hmm. Or you can go to your room. But it's like, who wants to be alone? Not me, you know? Right. And so I just stayed. And I was hooked. I mean, you guys watched that first scene. So, yeah. <laughs> I should have never been watching that. But I just... <laughs> (laughs) loved it so much and then I remember watching it again when I was a little bit older maybe like a preteen or a teenager or something like that and I was just obsessed with it and then I realized like because of this movie this movie made me want to be a filmmaker
1: interesting was there a particular aspect of it that made you want to be a filmmaker or was it just the, the, the film as a whole
0: I wanna say uh, the film as a whole, but even rewatching it like now, like I've seen it so many times. Like we, we we already touched on this like before we even started recording. And I always feel like I see something new, right? But I guess it might be the actual storyline because for me it was it's relatable because I grew up in like it wasn't like super religious like Joel, but mm-hmm. I grew up in a household, like a Christian household where it was just kind of like, okay, but people they they may not believe in succubus, but they, mm-hmm. they believe in actual, like, real-life evil, you know? And then okay. my, my dad's like, he's Jamaican, like, he's real, real Jamaican. So, meaning they get a little bit, like, some stuff when I tell people, they think it's a little bit weird, but they believe in voodoo. They believe in, like, the supernatural type of stuff. Like, there was even a time where my dad will freak out if I'll eat food from someone that I don't know. You know, so it's it's kind of like that. So I guess like growing up, I felt that it was relatable because my family, my parents, I mean, yeah, they, they were letting me watch horror movies, but they were like <laughs> they were really, really strict, you know. Mm. So um, and I was just like a kid at the time. But then again, like I said, when I re would rewatch it throughout the years. It was just very much relatable.
2: I'm curious, where did you watch this? Because I think one of the things that Trace and I were surprised by is the people who know this film know it and frequently love it and shout it from the rooftops. Mm -hmm. But I feel like this is actually a relatively under the radar film. And I'm just curious, like, was this airing on public television like did you rent this from the store was like honestly i'm i'm asking is the dumb white audience member was this something <laughs> where it's like this flew by white audiences heads
1: I, i'm glad you asked that joe because you know I'm t- i had never heard of this movie until mm-hmm. you referenced it and so yeah it's one of those things i'm like i mean i watched a lot of tv as a kid i feel like i would have come across this but maybe i wasn't watching the right channels
0: <laughs> right right no well it, i don't remember it actually coming on tv but my mom had the vhs And so I I don't know where she. I mean, I would think she. She got it from the video store, but. We it was just kind of like I've never heard anything of it. I mean, but then again, you know, I was a kid, so yeah. I didn't hear about a lot of things. But I remember but she was with my mom, she was always really again, she was really into like horror movies, and I remember she still is. I remember just watching even some like black exploitation movies because of her. Mm-hmm. So she would just pick it out. And then, you know, which is understandable because at the time this was like before Tales from the Hood, before you know Vampire and Brooke, and there was a big gap in between between like the black exploitation, you know, movies and this film. So the fact that it is like an all black cast movie, that's, that's, that's like a horror, you know, it wasn't something that we would receive a lot at the time, which is unfortunate, you know, so that's how we were able to check it out. And then we eventually, like, this was like in the late, well, early 2000s, my mom, she eventually picked it up on DVD. And I know, like with um, I think vinegar se- vinegar syndrome. They might yeah. have like a yeah, like a special edition now. They but do, before yes. that. Yeah, it was really hard to find.
1: Well, and everyone, if you're coming into this also not knowing what this is, like Joe, well, like Joe and I used to be. Um, this is streaming on Shutter as of this mm-hmm. recording, uh, I and mean, I'm pretty sure they'll they'll keep their hands on it for quite a while. Yeah. Um. No, I mean honestly, again, someone watching this in 2022, I. Obviously, this is a trauma film, this is low budget, but I'm also just, I was very surprised and delighted at a lot of the content in this film that I was not expecting to see in a horror movie that was made in 1990. I mean, we have queer content, we have an adaptation, or a update of sorts, I guess, of the AIDS Mary urban legend, so we got you for more urban legends, uh, Zena. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, this film is just doing a lot, when it didn't... I mean, I hate saying they didn't have to because it's a trauma mm-hmm. film, but it's like Bond is really shooting for the stars here. And it's really, really fascinating to watch.
2: Yeah. So I have to say something, and it's going to sound dismissive, but I also feel like, I mean, I don't know James Bond third. I know that he worked with Spike Lee and a bunch of other, like, important folks. He was a child actor. Mm-hmm. But when I watch this movie, all I see is Ernest R. Dickerson. and. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Like, that to me is what is making this film work to such a high degree because it feels like training wheels for Tales from the Crypt Demon Knight and then later Bones.
1: Mm-hmm. I think from a, a filmmaking standpoint, sure. I mean, Dickerson's cinematography is something that, you know, a lot of people rightfully point out in this film. And, I mean, I, I, does Bond's writing match up to Dickerson's quality of, of shooting? Uh, maybe not. But again, we're making a B movie here. So I... I, I
2: oh god but then i sound like i'm putting on this qualifier right like it's good for a b movie but that's not what i'm trying to say (laughs) (laughs) i think it's it's unexpectedly good like let's face it when we say trauma we typically expect schlocky not greatness like Mm -hmm. this doesn't even feel like a b movie this feels like a low budget film with a lot of aspirations and it surprisingly managed to nail a lot of the execution
0: yeah. So from what I understood, because again, you know, I, I was very well. I I am. I'm again. I'm obsessed with this movie. So I stalked the director and I found him
2: mm-hmm. because I
0: wanted, I needed to know
2: in a healthy fashion.
0: <laughs> yeah. Just I, this was like I think it was like in either 2014 or 15. I mean, I searched for him and I found him, you know, and when I got that call from him, it was the best day of my life. But, Aww. you know, I had so many questions, you know, about it because just even what you guys are saying, like, it does not feel like a trauma movie at all. No, and i right. watched like a lot of trauma movies and, you know, obviously they're not for everyone. There's some stuff that's just insane, <laughs> you know, um, yes. but, you know, and and I felt that way. And so... The director James he said this was after he pretty much his budget was extremely low. So they didn't right. have any type of creative input as far as it goes with the movie. The only thing was they um they they did alter the title. The title was originally temptation. They wanted to add in the death by temptation. And I guess like death it was like a, a slang word. You know, then
2: I tried to look it up, and I couldn't find it. I was like, this <laughs> must be something.
1: I was on Urban Dictionary, like, looking, I was like, okay, like, what are the seven different definitions of this word? And I was like, well, I guess this could work. I mean, it, it works a little bit better when you learn that her name is temptation. Right. Kind of, but Except yeah, I, that it's I was... not. It's temptress. No, 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 no. Because uh, Melba Moore, as, as the, uh, the, 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 uh, the medium, she says, like, her name is temptation or whatever. I don't know. When you look in the credits, she's listed as temptress. I mean, she represents temptation because she right. is the temptress. That's,
0: <laughs> that's how I took it—that she represented temptation, and maybe when she's a a man, she she'll be temptation instead of temptress. You mean, know. Right. But yeah, I just thought that that was really cool. You know, as as far as like with um with trauma, and then even with Ernest Ernest R. Dickerson, he actually had to uh stop filming like the last scene so that last scene was filmed by Lloyd Kaufman and oh. you know what's what's like you know i i'm a fan of trauma movies okay mm-hmm. so this is no shade at all but you know <laughs> it's it's so weird because i feel like you know trauma i get it like it, cheese is what they do but i feel like they can do other things So that's why I don't, I never understood, like, why not have more of a, uh, like, the same type of tone as they did with Death by Temptation. You know what I mean?
2: Right. Like, we know they're capable of making a movie like this, and yet this stands out as being different from a lot of their other films because it's not schlocky and B-movie in the same way. Yeah. Right.
0: And I never understood that, but I mean, and I get it like that's their thing, but it's just like, I mean, come on, switch it up. Maybe even do what Michael Kors does. Like they have like a, you know, a contemporary line and then they have like that luxurious high end, like, hey, you want to be fancy, you know, type of line. I don't know. Try that.
1: Yeah, well, and this is the first trauma film we've ever covered on the podcast. We actually have written about one Joe, which was Killer Condom, but that mm-hmm. was again that was a film that was acquired by Trauma, so they didn't produce it. Whereas this is a film that was produced by Trauma. So why don't we just do a crash course? Because I feel like some of our listeners is probably they're aware of Trauma or have heard us mention Trauma, but they're not maybe completely sure what it is, right? Also, just really quick, the line that I, because I've heard it in my notes, um, the fortune teller says, its name is temptation. There's only one way it can be destroyed. Men must be completely submissive to the utmost reality, which is God. So, but yes, credit is temptress. You are correct. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's Trace being like, no, I'm right and you're wrong, but also. No, I but guess. we're
0: it, sorry. It, it, it makes the title make more sense. <laughs> yeah. So death by temptress.
1: Death sure. <laughs> <laughs> So, okay. Trauma Entertainment is an American independent film production and distribution company founded by Lloyd Kaufman and Michael Herz in 1974. Um what they do as we've kind of hinted on already is produce low budget independent films primarily of the horror comedy genre many of them play on 1950s horror with elements of farce parody gore and splatter so as of this date Troma has produced acquired and distributed over a thousand independent films uh, its slogan in 2014 was 40 years of disrupting media All right. Troma films are B movies known for their surrealistic or automatistic nature along with their use of shocking imagery uh, some would categorize them as shock exploitation films they typically contain overt sexuality nudity uh intentionally sadistic gory and blatant graphic violence uh so much so that the term trauma has has become a term synonymous with these characteristics um they are a budget company so you'll see like if you watch films back to back they'll reuse the same props actors and scenes repeatedly through their movies Uh, at a certain point however this became another hallmark of trauma so examples include like a severed leg a penis monster and the flipping and exploding car film for the movie sergeant kabuki man nypd which is used in place of any other car that needs to crash and explode in one of their movies (laughs) (laughs) we have one and we reuse it liberally in 1985 they had a hit with their violent comedy horror superhero film the toxic avenger and this is one again I, i don't have a lot of experience the trauma but i know this movie i've never seen it but we are getting a remake soon that's a family friendly pg-13 remake so uh. make of that what you will but <laughs> but the toxic avenger went on to become trauma's most popular spawning sequels and an animated television program uh but following the financial demise of the company trauma itself the sequels to the film were box office bombs uh there was a cartoon adaptation that quickly ended though the toxic avenger is now trauma's official mascot so in 1990, though, they're still doing pretty well. Their, their highest period of creativity is actually from 1995 to 2000. Um, you have Lloyd Kaufman directing three films that kind of really became big trauma hits, like uh, Tromeo and Juliet, which we actually talked about a lot uh, last week, Joe, when we talked about Scooby-Doo, because oh, James nice. Gunn wrote that. Right. We have Terror Firmer, a slasher film loosely based on Kaufman's own book, All I Need to Know About Filmmaking, I Learned from the Toxic Avenger, and an independent film sequel to the Toxic Avenger trilogy titled Citizen Toxie, the Toxic Avenger 4. <laughs> what a title. I, I mean, man, <laughs> all this shit. I'll just go into really quickly just kind of like how they kind of went under uh, in, in the 2000s, but... In the aftermath of various films' poor performances, mainly 2004's Tales from the Crapper, mind you. Okay. Troma experienced financial hardship and tried to reestablish itself as a smaller company, mostly out of necessity. Um, So today, the majority of Troma films are viewed for the first time on VHS or DVD. They rarely do theatrical films. They mainly, what they do is they produce and acquire independent films. So uh, they've distributed many films from third parties like the aforementioned Killer Condom or Trey Parker's Cannibal the Musical, our pre-South Park era, Trey Parker and Matt Stone. Oh, I love that one too. I've never seen it. <laughs> <Me> neither. Uh neither. <laughs> so, um, yeah, they did have a YouTube channel, but then that apparently went against the community standards, so their channel got shut down.
2: Uh. That makes
1: sense, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they, they, but they put all their films there. So now what they have is they launched a streaming service called Troma Now, which offers many of the films distributed by Troma. And apparently you can get it for like 4 a month. So, you know, if you're interested after watching Death by Temptation into, uh, to kind of explore more Trauma. Go get their streaming uh, uh, service. But a lot of now famous stars got their start in trauma. I mean, in this movie alone, we have uh, Samuel L. Jackson, but Carmen Electra, Billy Bob Thornton, Kevin Costner, Marissa
2: Tomei, uh, Michael J. White, Vincent D'Onofrio, uh, all of them got their start in trauma movies. It's interesting, right? Because, you know, I feel like we often nowadays, like we talk about A24 horror, we talk about Blumhouse, and we Mm -hmm. maybe talk about IFC and that kind of stuff. But like, there was a period when folks like Lloyd Kaufman and like Charles Band, those guys were like, keeping horror afloat by just like churning out these low budget films. And Mm -hmm. it's just interesting to see how like some films have really taken it as a baton pass. And Mm -hmm you know, we're recording this in the recent aftermath of Winnie the Pooh horror film (laughs) being announced. And, you know, it's that kind of stuff where I'm just like, oh, that could easily be a trauma film or Mm -hmm. Charles Band film.
0: You know, I have such a, a love hate relationship when it comes to like full moon pictures, because it's like, I feel like, once again, kind of in the same boat as Troma, like, you have the potential. We've seen you do it, like, mm-hmm. with some of your movies. And so, um, I don't know why I keep telling people this, but I have to go down a rabbit hole. Do you mind? No, go go absolutely. Ahead. Okay, so I watched this Full Moon Pictures movie, and I couldn't keep my eyes off of it, and I don't know why I watched it.
1: <laughs> like, in a good way? It's a good movie? <sighs> it wasn't
0: for me but it has the potential
1: really really quick i will say this so i have seen a handful of trauma films i've seen a handful of full moon pictures films i tend to kind of despise a lot of full moon features um Mm -hmm. i don't like puppet master they're both you know low budget studios and production companies but there's something about full moon that i find just it makes it really difficult to watch. I think part of it is the score. They reuse, like Ginger Dead Man, Joe, I'm thinking about that. But like, mm-hmm. it's a mm-hmm. a lot of this really goofy, stupid score that to me just kills it. And it also just like, I don't know, like the trauma films I've seen, like, yeah, they're low budget and schlocky, but there's kind of a a, a creativity and innovation here that I don't often see in, again, the handful of full moon pictures that I've seen.
2: Right. I feel like they're just a little bit more fun, whereas... I mean, I will say we will cover some full moon pictures at some point because that is the world that David Dakota lives in, Trace. Yeah, so I know, <laughs> I know. We will get there again. Anyway, Zena,
0: I feel like they constantly take us down rabbit holes where right. you kind of forget what you're watching. Mm. And mm. I'm all for cheese. Like, I really am because I, I, I enjoy myself some cheese every now and then, you know. But sometimes it's just like they have the potential because with full moon movies, it's like they have, from what I heard from uh Charles Band, he has like these locations. He has like a well he used to. I don't know his life, but apparently he <laughs> he used to own like a castle overseas because you know that's what they filmed Castle Freak, Spellcaster. Yeah. And then also he has this really like huge house that's in Ohio. They call it the Full Moon Mansion or something. So you have these locations, but it's just the storylines where it's like I don't understand like how did you think that that would be, you know what I mean? Like, it's just like, I'm all for, for, for the cheese, but it's just like, it just takes us down like these rabbit holes where it's just like, I don't even know what's happening anymore. I don't know why I'm watching this. Where did the time go?
1: So is it that kind of lack of narrative focus that you see more in trauma films, which is why you prefer, prefer the, their output?
0: Right. And I think that's that's exactly what that is. Because like, I mean, at least with with trauma, like they own that. You know what I mean? Yeah. They own it, but it's like, I feel like they, with Full Moon, I, it's it's weird because it's just like, have, I, don't, I don't feel like it was always like that because, you know, I know we mentioned Puppet Master, but they have like this really awesome movie called like Spellcaster that's just like everything. And that's a Full Moon movie. Like what happened there? Because you guys did that right. But then it just seems like as we got more into like the late 90s, you know, 2000s, they're just like, ah, you know, ah. Whatever. Okay. We're just here to
2: make money. It doesn't really yeah, matter. We don't have to make an
0: effort. It's unfortunate.
2: And maybe it's
1: because, I mean, like in this period for trauma, like, they were in a period of, uh, of post-Toxic Avengers success. Like, oh, my God, we have money. Yeah. We can do things. We can still do what we're doing, but we can, like, I don't know, do it better. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. <gasps> well, so, coming back to Death by Temptation, though, so, I mean, like, this, uh, as you said, Zeno, like, uh, James Bond third, he was in School Days, and he... I'm going to assume pulled a lot of strings from his school days connections because a lot of the crew also worked on it, uh, Ernest R. Dickerson being, of course, one of them. But, you know, Bill Nunn in this movie was also in it. And then we have a couple other actors that were also in school days. So I'm assuming they just all got Buddy Buddy after that came out. And he was like, hey, I'm going to make this (laughs) Troma succubus movie. Come on in. So... This film comes out May 11th, 1990, and it does get a brief theatrical release. It opens in 17 theaters, and it get I'm sorry, it opens in 11 theaters in the number 17 spot with $54,000. And to give you a portrait of what movies were at this time, the number one movie this weekend was Pretty Woman, in it's eighth weekend of release. Alright. Wow. <laughs> Teenage Mutant Ninja
2: Turtles was the number two movie, in it's seventh weekend of release. Yeah, movies had legs, but also they were topping the box office with, like, probably under-double-digit figures. hmm mm-hmm. They just kept making that much money. But, yeah, so Death by
1: Temptation goes on to gross about $2.2 2 million. I don't have a budget for this, but I want to say I read—it might have been in your uh, one of your pieces, Zena, you know, that it was about $250,000 or less. hmm Critics—okay, I've never had this happen before, y'all, so we're looking at a 71% on Rotten Tomatoes, but the average score— is a three point seven out of ten.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. But... <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I never understood that. I saw that, you know. I, I feel like now, like people, they take it as it is a cheesy movie, and it's like old, and they probably don't want to watch it, or you know what I mean. So
2: that frustrates me immensely because I don't find this movie cheesy. Like, there's a couple mm-hmm. of parts where I'm like you know what, I can see the shoestring budget, like there's not many sets, we go to the same bar over and over again, we go to the same kind of two houses over and over again. But like, that doesn't make it cheesy. That just right. makes it entrepreneurial in my mind. I just think it's weird that
1: it's 71% of the aggregate score, but then that average is 3.7. Like, how does that like, is it like... That's a huge disconnect. Like three yeah. ones out of 10s and then like a bunch of sevens out of 10s? I don't I don't know.
0: <laughs> it is. It's so weird. Yeah. Like, I, I never really understood that as well. And like, just going back to what you said earlier, there's a lot of connections to school days. Um, from my understanding, he did ask people while he was filming it, and so then that's how they were able to do it. And with a lot of the things he was saying with Kadeem Hardison, this was like around the time when he was like super duper popular.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So they um they had to be careful about when they filmed, and there'll be like crowds of people outside, um, wow. like the the brownstone. Yeah.
1: So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, this is, uh, again, everyone, paint a picture. This is around the time, so he's done School Days, but he's also doing I'm Gonna Get You, Sucker, and White Men Can't Jump around this time. Oh, wow. Yeah, he would have been popular. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, we're looking at a letterbox score of 6.4 out of 10. Xena, this is James Bond's only directorial credit and his only writing credit. Uh, Mm -hmm. Do you know, Like, did you get a chance to ask him why he hasn't done another film since?
0: Um, I did, and he really didn't give me an answer, because it, it it's, and it's like, you know, again, like, maybe I was coming on too strong, like, tell me, you know, because I, I never understood, like, because with the ending, there's a room for a sequel, mm-hmm. or a prequel, like, give us something, you know, but I do know, and not saying that this is the reason, but I do know there was a lot of things that did happen, like, beforehand, mm-hmm. so, um, he said that, you know, in the theater's, When it was in theaters that it did really well and Mm. that people really did like love it. But when it was time to distribute it, he had a hard time finding distributors because people felt like it's an all black cast. Who wants to see that? People don't want to see that. And so that's even when Lloyd Kaufman came in with trauma and they helped with that. Otherwise, he was saying that they would have probably never had a place to, like, distribute it. So I don't know if that was something to add to it, if if it was draining for him. But he he has been, he told me he has been working with, you know, filmmakers, like, some indie filmmakers, you know, um, producing, like, on, like, you know, uh, smaller, like, projects. I think,
1: I think it's sometimes difficult for us, and by us, I mean, like, the general us, uh... This is a job, right? Like filmmaking, mm-hmm. working in Hollywood is a job. It's a business. And I think we forget that it can be really easily it can be really easy to get disillusioned with that. So yeah, I mean, I yeah. can like I mean, you know, we always talk about John Carpenter and how he just doesn't <laughs> want to do shit anymore. So he's doing whatever he wants, uh, which is scoring films. But yeah, I mean, I can see if he didn't have the easiest time making this movie. Like maybe this is his one thing that he wanted to get out and he was mm-hmm. like, Cool, I got it out and I'm good. I'm I'm yeah. good with this. Yeah.
0: I can see that.
1: But Anyway, but uh, yeah, so I mean, th- th- that's really all I have. I wanted to do that quick trauma primer, but why don't why don't we start talking about what happens in this movie? Because it's only 90, 95 minutes, but uh, there's a lot. <laughs>
2: there's a lot, yeah. So, folks, to set the stage, I'm gonna make reference to a couple of different pieces. So, Eric Langberg, who we talked about, Trace, in Joyride, he provided Mm. the sort of Laramie reading that we ended up structuring that episode around. yeah. He wrote about this movie for a piece on Medium when it was playing as part of the Nightstream Festival in 2020. The one we did? Uh, that is the year we did The Cell, yes.
1: Okay, yes, 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 got it.
2: Oh, awesome. What
1: a fun course. Coincidence.
2: Yeah, and mm-hmm. then uh, Katie Reif also wrote about that back when she was working for the AV club. And it's interesting because they frame it in two different ways. So obviously, folks, if you want a better primer, the best way to do that would be to watch once again, horror noir on Shudder, because it's gonna put a lot of the racial aspects into context. But Katie does tie this into the morality tales of Spencer Williams, specifically his 1941 film, The Blood of Jesus, which is narratives that are rooted in like the black church and protagonists that are standing at moral crossroads. So the idea of, are you going to succumb to the allure of sin? Or are you going to stay on the righteous path? And then Langberg positions the film coming out in 1990 as uh, basically pulling from the post Reaganomics panic. And of course, we actually see Reagan in this film.
1: <laughs> I was gonna say he, he he's really, really bad guy in this movie. <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: So like in 1990, you know, again, Tracy, you and I have talked about films that come out at the beginning of a new decade and how they often still reflect the politics or the socio-cultural status of the previous decade. So Regonomics in the 80s uh, very focused on the family very money centric but also you know we're coming out of the AIDS crisis where everybody mm-hmm. is still afraid of sex so if you look at this film as reflecting some of those concerns and then specifically thinking about black culture in 1990 this is a movie about threats to family stability spirituality and communal health so With that primer in place, (laughs) let's open the film at a New York down bar, which uh, is being lorded over by this kind of playboy bartender, or the first of two. Uh, He is played by John Canada Terrell, and he is propositioned by Temptress, or temptation however we want to
0: <laughs> describe
1: You can call her, her the temp I, for the record I did write her as the temptress in all of my notes. I just when I heard
2: that line from the medium I was like
1: oh like the title. Right.
2: <laughs> okay so we how about this we will call her temptation if we're using it as a name or the temptress. Sure. <laughs> okay. And uh, she is played by Cynthia Bond, who unfortunately doesn't act anymore, but is an accomplished author, and also apparently an out bisexual, according to After Ellen.
1: Yes! Oh my god. More queer content, which again, I I know you would keep me into the queer content in this movie, which I mean, none of our main characters are queer, well, I, 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 we could call, the no, we don't really see the, ten, the, the temptation. Oh, my fucking God. We don't see the temptress do anything
2: that's queer. <laughs> uh, we do. We'll get to that later. All right.
1: But I, I, I was pleasantly
2: surprised that we have this much queer content. I,
1: again, coming at the after the height of the AIDS crisis in 1990.
2: Yeah. I feel like we're going to have an interesting conversation about that when we get to the queer-ist scene in particular. Yeah. Okay, so Temptation offers this bartender the opportunity to come to her house and drink under her rules. So she's very much taking this kind of aggressive sexual stance, which is funny because we have just heard this man both A, convince uh, one girlfriend to get an abortion, and then also make plans with a married woman on the other line.
0: It's horrible. He had no shame. (laughs)
2: He's at work (laughs) Dump
1: the kid, I'll even pay for it Send me the bill and my check will be in the mail (laughs) This is a thoughtful man, ladies Get Mm. you one of these It is And that's kind of what we're doing here And so Zena, I'll tell you One of my issues with the way the film is structured narratively is I I like this introduction for the Tim Dress I think this is fantastic Because we just kind of go through an episodic Where we're going through three of her victims Mm -hmm. We get snippets of Joel in Mm -hmm. the first 30 minutes of this movie. You know, we get his history and stuff, and we'll talk about that in a bit. But I don't feel like Joel ever really becomes the protagonist of this movie until, like, more than halfway through its runtime. And that was where I'm like, I don't fully connect with Joel a lot because I'm Mm -hmm. way more interested in what the temptress is doing and also what Kay is doing.
0: Yeah. I I thought that, well, I I don't know. I always felt like Joel's a sweet baby angel. I just wanted to protect (laughs) him. But, But I agree with you. Like, it does take us a while to see him you know, see more of his point of view. We're just getting hints and stuff like that, you know, of Mm -hmm. it. Well, and and
1: his emotional and spiritual journey. uh, I mean, again, that really is the focus of the film, which it seems like the film puts precedence over that, than Joel himself, if that makes any sense. But maybe once we get to that religious stuff, we can dive into that.
2: Yeah. Okay, so let's continue with our introduction to the temptress. So when this bartender arrives at her house, it's kind of gothic honestly my ernest r dickerson like a boner was popping because it it looks exactly like the house from bones and it's Mm -hmm. lit the exact same way as diva nights i was like oh my god i'm in for a visual feast Mm -hmm. he (laughs) goes up to her bedroom we should note that the bedroom mirror has been covered so you can't see reflections and she's got about a million candles and candelabras lit and this place is just it, it looks like a music video sex room, mm-hmm. and it's yeah. fantastic.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> and I, I'm not going crazy, right, because the, uh, this is actually a dilapidated place that she somehow hoodwinks them into thinking looks like a fancy mansion.
0: Uh. Yes. Well, more of like her on the outside. It's clearly just just not. I think that she only just set up the, the bedroom. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, wouldn't you care like if she's living in
1: filth? Well, because c- when he runs away, it's like, oh, this is, this looks like like almost like a torn down building. So yeah. it's like, this is weird. Like, I, I don't know. I thought there was some kind of spell she was casting over them
2: to make them think that the space they were in was like more glamorous than what it actually was. Ooh. Which is entirely possible because she is regularly fucking with people's sort yeah. of sense and sensibilities. I read it more as Zena suggesting where it's like she's basically decked out one room and right. one room only. But I could also see your point, Trace. Yeah, well, I can see that. But I guess you could also say,
1: well, the men are stupid because they are so blinded by their lust for her that they don't don't see all these
2: red flags. (laughs)
0: Like, that looks disgusting. And it's like, you're still just, you're fine with that.
2: Yeah. Mhm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he is because he walks in, he takes one look around and he goes, "Ooh, you're one hot-natured freakazoid." And it's not disparaging. <laughs> it's like, "Oh girl, we about to get freaky and you're just oh like, my God. sir. Sir. <laughs> <laughs> you need to stop thinking with little bartender and start thinking with big bartender.
1: Please. <sighs>
2: So he does not, because they immediately get down to fucking, and mm-hmm. we move from the bedroom to the shower. We should note that he also refuses to use a condom. That's why he's to pay for all those abortions. Uh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Wrap it up, boys. Wrap it up. So the water then turns bloody and the temptress just <laughs> begins laughing and he gets really freaked out. We do see Peen. He can't get out. And then we cut to the other side of the door as blood leaks under it.
1: So I love this as an introduction, again, for this character. Now even thinking about it, though, how fun would it be? So if we ever get a reboot of this movie, how fun would it be if the the way she kills them, like, fits the their quote-unquote crime? So this guy you know he, he he carelessly impregnates a lot of women so what if like she births a demon baby that attacks and kills him and, oh my gosh and yeah th- then with the guy who when well, we get to the AIDS guy later uh, I don't know maybe there's something he did specifically to like pass on STDs to women because of whatever like again we, she keeps changing the punishment to fit whatever crime
2: they were doing I think that'd be really mm-hmm.
0: cool I think that would be awesome
2: mm-hmm. it would be interesting you could make it very highly political because I was even thinking oh she could make him pregnant and then yeah mm-hmm. It's like, oh, this is what you're doing to women. Guess you should take better care of them. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. See, I like that, too. Again, imagine the body horror with that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, we get a title card and we move the action to North Carolina where we meet young Joel who is played by Z Wright and he is watching his father who is Minister Garth played by Samuel L. Jackson Mm. and he is preaching from the pulpit and it's very stylistically shot like this could be a nightmare but what follows afterwards is that we, we do see that young Joel and his dad are still trying to get to grandma's house. But in the church, we see a woman dressed in like a black shroud. She's hovering over Joel. It's very threatening. Again, very music video, and I love it. Yeah. (laughs) And then almost immediately thereafter, Joel's parents are killed in a car accident, and he goes to live with his grandmother, who is played by Minnie Gentry.
1: And they're killed in a car accident when the temptress is blocking the road, and he swerves to avoid hitting her yeah that old standby ghost in the middle of the road right <laughs> i and actually because you know you mentioned wanting to get a prequel to this i think and i, I again yeah, i would like to know more of the history i mean I, we can obviously put it together based on that what we find out later in the film because she's going for the last bloodline of this pure family blah 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 blah. Mm-hmm. but i could have taken more flashbacks with her and samuel L. jackson and not just because it's samuel L. jackson
0: same and, and that's what i mean like he's only in it for like two minutes but mm-hmm. yes you kind of want it more and all that other stuff but yeah I, I especially with with his I mean his role as his father you know so I'm pretty sure he probably maybe even dealt with something maybe not that particular temptress but I don't know some type of battle beforehand.
1: See, I actually, I actually read this as the very same temptress uh, that, that that's oh, sure. with him the whole time. Oh
0: yeah, that's true. Yeah.
1: But I mean, but that's what I'm saying. Though. I mean, it, it, it's unclear because we don't see her face. I just, I, I, but the whole thing is, I was like, okay, yeah, she wants to go after Joel because she got his fa- her, his father and his grandfather and his great grandfather. So he's the last one of the bloodline. Right. Mm-hmm. But again, yeah, I, I would have taken more of that, or even like, um, I'm surprised Samuel L. Jackson never told his son about this. Be like, hey, one yeah. day. This well, woman's going to come looking young. for you.
0: Yeah, that's tr- That's that's how I took it, like, as well, that he was very young. So mm-hmm. he didn't even get a chance to.
1: Right. He hasn't had the talk yet to have that talk.
2: There we go. Yeah, if you're going to have sex, wrap it up. Don't cheat with married women. And also, uh, some succubus lady is going to try to murder you at some point. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, also, this idea that she is following a family line, to me, again, just brings me back to Demon Knight, where it's like, there are chosen people who will inherit this religious mantle and have to fight off demons, like, yeah. I love that Ernest R. Dickerson has, like, a fucking narrative type. I because mean, what, uh, it's actually kind of interesting, because it was like, every five years, he did, well, I guess he didn't
1: direct this, but he shot this, mm-hmm. Demon Knight's like, 1994, 95, and then Bones is like, 2001,
2: 2002. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So basically, all this to say, Joel has had this traumatic past, but now his grandmother is like, you're one step away from achieving your true purpose, which is to become a minister. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. So we jump back to New York. We are back in the bar and we are introduced to married man, Norman, who is (laughs) hilarious. So he is played by (laughs) Ronnie Clayton. He is the worst cheater I have ever seen. <laughs> he walks into the bar and takes off his ring. And you're oh just like, nobody. you need to plan this way earlier. Oh, kind of <laughs> <laughs> you're like giving like a how-to on how to cheat on your spouse. <laughs> well, maybe like if if you need to cheat, maybe don't do it directly in front of the person that you're hoping to get into bed.
1: But you know what, though? I actually, I mean, not saying this is maybe a commentary, but I think a lot of men are that stupid. Oh, sure. Me too. sure. sure. <laughs> They they have this this invincibility that they think about themselves. They're like, I'll never get caught. And they do shit like this. And then they get Mm -hmm. caught. Yeah.
0: And I have to be honest with you. At first, it was just kind of like you feel bad for him. Mm -hmm. Because it's just like, all right, maybe you should leave, you know, Norman. Go back home to your wife, please, Mm -hmm. you know. But then when he's just so like, I, I don't know what the word is. He's just, it's not unhinged, but he's just like a nervous wreck. You know when he's trying to order from from the like the bartender, or he's trying to get back his change. You know his his money, and he doesn't know if he wants it. If he wants to, you know, take the change or leave. And it's just like at that point, just just go. You know what I mean? Like I I don't know. I just I even though I know what's gonna happen, I just find that I'm always just constantly yelling at the screen like no. <laughs> you know, just go home.
1: It's because though his fate is. It's really awful. Well, it's yeah. arguably the darkest. And it's actually funny, because I'd, ne- I'd never thought about this before. So, uh, listeners, if you don't know, what happens to this man is he, instead of killing him outright, she gives him eight. Yes. And it's interesting, because have y'all ever seen Tyler Perry's Temptation, Confessions of a Marriage Counselor? Oh, my God. Yeah, I have. So, it, 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 in this movie, th- th- this device of using AIDS as a weapon, like, doesn't bother me that much because it's a horror movie and it's a monster doing this. But that's a movie where, you know, we have a woman, Journey Smollett, who's cheating on her husband. And, mm-hmm. like, the end of the movie is her husband, like, meets another woman, leaves her, and then she gets HIV. <laughs> yeah. So it's this huge morality tale, but it, I think that plays a lot grosser in a Tyler Perry melodrama than it does mm-hmm. in a trauma B movie.
0: I oh, agree.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we're meant to think of Norman as a bit of a pathetic figure. As you said, Zina. he's very awkward at the bar. You know, it seems like they maybe have some okay sex with the peacock feather tickling. And then the knife plate gets a little bit more severe, but maybe that's your king. <laughs> see, no, so, so
1: I actually thought the whole time, again, because I'm like, oh, she can change the, the what, what they see around her. I actually thought there was
2: never a peacock feather, and she was always using the knife on him. Ooh. Oh. Again, entirely possible.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, uh so all this to say, yeah, you know, he, he ends up getting these cuts on his back, but then she's like, Oh, that's not the worst thing I've done to you. It's interesting to me that we're not saying AIDS, we're not saying mm-hmm. HIV. It's very much just like you need to pick up that she has given him something, yeah. and then when he leaves and looks in the mirror, you can see the lesions on his face and neck, and it's yeah. like We've all lived through the 80s. We know what this means. Yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. And the fact, too, that she even, you know, said that line about, I gave you something that you could never get rid of. Yeah. You know, and it's just like, oh, my God.
1: So why do you think she does this to him when she just flat out kills other men?
0: I think for him, it would have been so much easier if he was just killed. Now he has to go back home and explain this to his wife.
1: Yeah. So do you think it's because he has a wife that this is happening? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, I did want to just delve into this a little bit because I mean, I I don't think I've seen the AIDS Mary or AIDS Harry urban legend adapted to film until this. So I was quite shocked to see this be a Mm -hmm. plot point in this movie. Um, but listeners, if you don't know, so I mean, what what this is, and I'll, I'll stick with AIDS Mary since we are working with a female villain here. It, it's a legend that came into prominence in the late in late 1986 and was as much an expression of the fears of that time as anything else. So, though AIDS had been with us for years before that, it was only in the late 80s that heterosexuals began to wake up to this grim reaper walking among them, not just their gay siblings. So. In the legend, a woman... It aids Mary, it's a woman infecting a man. and aids Harry, it's a man infecting a woman. Or, or a gay man. Uh, but a fellow picks up a young lady for a one-night sexual encounter. Everything goes swimmingly, and he's quite pleased about the whole thing, until the next morning when he awakens to find her gone, and the words, Welcome to the world of AIDS, scrawled in lipstick on his bathroom mirror. Wow. Aren't you glad you didn't turn on the lights? Yeah, v- <laughs> very, yeah it's very much like a, like a bleed-off of that. And so... Often given as the reason for the infector's rampage through the ranks of the previously untouched is the justification of his or her having caught the disease from a member of the opposite sex. And so now they're on a war against that entire gender. So the entire gender will be made to pay for one person giving this person AIDS. It's also a cautionary tale to warn against the dangers of promiscuity, but also brings into play the fear of falling prey to a random act of violence at the hands of a madman. And there is some real-life basis for this, although not around the time the legend would have come about. In July 1998, we had an HIV-positive Pamela Weiser of Lewisburg, Tennessee. She was picked up by police on a tip from a man she'd slept with. Under questioning, she claimed over the previous year to have had sex with more than 50 men in an effort to take revenge for three years earlier, having caught disease from her then boyfriend. So uh, again, like it's kind of all over the place. But I I find it so interesting that we are choosing to tell this story in this movie at this time.
2: Yeah, so ironically enough, Trace, that reminds me of a forthcoming really, really dangerous slash low budget slash exploitation film which is called la aids jabber uh which is basically the same idea it's a guy who contracts aids and then goes about infecting as many people as he can just because he's like if i have to live with this now you do too and it's like horror based on moral panic like what could be scarier than somebody who is deliberately trying to infect other people
1: But do you think that we're getting that in a movie like this and a movie like L.A. AIDS Jabber? Which, granted, I'm going to, without having seen L.A. AIDS Jabber yet, but just, I've seen some clips from it. Mm -hmm. Like, this, Death by Temptation is actually a much better produced film. Oh my god, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I wonder if it's because, like, yeah, I mean, obviously, this is in poor taste, right? To have something like this in a time where, like, like millions of people are dying. So I wonder if it's just because that world of exploitation and B-movies was the only way you could really tell a story like that. Because if you put it in a, like, a real movie sorry for lack of a better term I don't know I don't think that would swing with with, uh, anyone
2: yeah I mean I think the three deaths that we get to see I guess, doled out by the temptress have their various levels of morality tales. And it's very much like, well, if you don't conduct adulterous relationships, if you, Mm -hmm. you know, don't treat women badly or just like give out abortions willy-nilly, and if you're not gay, then Mm. you don't have to worry about these kinds of fates.
1: Wait, if you are gay, you need to worry about these kind of things.
0: I mean, it seems, it seems like with the guy, what was his name? Uh, Jonathan? -hmm. He seemed curious, though you know. So that's why I always thought that she went after him.
1: So, uh, sorry, I I know me saying, "Oh, if you're not gay, you're fine." Like that sounds silly because we're talking about AIDS here, but um, because the 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 third victim, this Jonathan character, it seems that he is struggling with his sexuality because again, Mm -hmm. that man hits on him and he right gets offended in a way, but like not in a way where it's like, "Oh, no homo, I'm straight, back off," like you gay man. But then he still goes home with the temptress. And I was like, okay, well, is he trying to fight his sexuality? So mm-hmm. I read that scene as by doing that, by by going against his like his basic urges of being gay, that's what gets him killed. Because if he hadn't had sex with her, he wouldn't be doing this.
2: Uh, maybe. Yeah, I mean, this is interesting, right? So this character, Jonathan, he's played by Stephen Van Cleef. And the man who hits on him is quite a bit more sort of effeminate and flamboyant Mm -hmm. and it seems like he's more interested in just having sex and jonathan is presented as somebody who's like he he literally says he's more interested in conversation but this man can still buy him a drink and the man looks at him (laughs) and says you know you can go fuck yourself (laughs) and then jonathan has this really bitchy line where he says five dollar drink from a two dollar man bitch (laughs) yeah so it yeah, I mean he's very much a certain type of queer. I saw a lot of reviews, uh, including our former guest Marco Estes, who includes this character in a short list of queer black men in horror. So Mark actually identifies this as only the third. The first being Bobby McCoy in Blackula in 1972, and then Belle the henchman from Bright Night 2 in 1988, Mm. followed by now this character. So this is like a very short list of black queer men Mm -hmm. being captured in horror. But everyone that I saw mentions that this is a gay man. And I thought, oh, well, why couldn't this man be bisexual? Because he's clearly interested Mm -hmm. in men. But then maybe that's why he goes home with the temptress.
0: That's what I thought as well. And that's why I thought that he was just curious about her. And I mean, at the same time, he really wasn't trying to hit on anyone. He was just at the bar. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people were approaching him. So and she kind of did.
1: Well, and so, OK, the, the, the words she used to him are, are very charged, at least for me, because what she says is like, she gives him a napkin and she says, it's your choice where we're going. It's much better, at least with me. It's much better. So I was reading this as, OK, when when you're queer, you, you grow up hearing the word choice a lot. You know, you're choosing to be this way. Like, it's mm-hmm. your choice to be gay or be queer. But also, she's saying with me, it's much better. Meaning, with me, with women, it's much better. And she's tricking him into not being who he really is. But I, mm. that again is assuming
2: that he is gay and not bisexual or pansexual.
0: I can see that. Yeah.
2: So, so how do we then read? You know, we're we're jumping around a lot, but let's stay with Jonathan in this story because the result that we see of it, it's played for a bit of comedy in the film because characters that we've not yet really introduced are talking about. The temptress as though she's polite and a sexy pussycat and this kind of stuff. And meanwhile, we're actually seeing her. She's very belligerent to Jonathan when he wants to come in. And then (laughs) when they're having sex, he seems to be enjoying it. But then she gets behind him. And the insinuation is that she has a penis or she is anally raping him. And he (laughs) asks her to Mm -hmm. stop. And then she basically claws him to death. And this is the most violent death scene that we get. So we've seen her kill one other person, but that was off-screen. This is the only time we actually see her kill someone, and it is reserved for the queer man. Mm, yeah. I mean,
1: I yeah. <laughs> I was just like, well, I talked it up to the budget, but but then it's like, well then why did they choose this one to be right. the one they put their money on?
2: Um Yeah. Uh yeah. So this I, this is one of those things where I'm not going to say, oh, this film is deeply homophobic, but I do mm-hmm. think it reflects concerns about queer lifestyles in a film that is steeped in praising the virtues of religion and living a sin-free life. Well, it's also
1: too, because compared to the other two men she kills, we haven't really seen a crime from this man. I mean, you know, we have the man who's exactly. like, you know, knocking up women, making them get abortions, and then we have the man who's cheating on his wife. So yeah, it's what what did Jonathan do, right? And mm-hmm. given that the again Joel's entire arc is I have to remain pure, become a minister, whatever, it does kind of make it bleed into the themes of the film where it's like, oh, we're yes, very much a morality tale, very much righteousness on the side of God here. So therefore, unfortunately, being queer is a sin and therefore punishable by whatever this does, <laughs> temptress does to him. Right.
0: Yeah, I took it as that as well, and that's a good point too because his. I know that we see blood, and we see stuff here and there, but clearly his his death was, like, the worst.
2: I mean, I'm, I'm going to say it's shot really artistically. Like, we're seeing the four-poster bed with the sheets around it, and we're seeing her just go to town, scratching him to death, yeah. and there's blood everywhere. It, it's not like we're seeing him die horribly, but compared to the other two, mm-hmm. it it, yeah, I mean, these are very sexualized crimes obviously because she is a succubus so we should expect that but it's i'm not gonna lie it's a little bit troubling but it's maybe also representative of where queers and acceptance for queer lifestyles were at in 1990 yeah.
1: i yeah I, I i would chalk it up to 1990 but also i mean uh homophobia within the black community also isn't um particularly new Uh, and I I don't, I mean, without knowing James Bond's, what's going on inside his head, like, do I, do I feel like there was any ill intent here? Not really. I just think that's probably just like, he's like, oh, like, we're going to do this death. But I mean, it's definitely what we're talking about.
0: That's, that's what I was going to say as well. I think that, you know, um, within the black community, it's something, well, I can't say back then because I wasn't there, but (laughs) within the black community, it seemed like it is, you know, it's like an unspoken thing. You know, mm-hmm, it seemed right. like in the '90s, so I think that they were trying to also showcase that with it. You know, like with by, by hinting about it, and then mm-hmm. even with him being—I wouldn't even say—I don't think that he was confused. I just think that he was just at the bar yep. hanging out, and you know, a man hit hit on him, and then he also the temptress. I mean, she's the temptress, so <laughs> that's what she's doing. She's doing her <laughs> job, you know.
2: Yeah. And we see throughout the film, she is able to put spells on people, like she can cloud over people's minds. So Mm -hmm. it's not impossible to imagine that, you know, she catches his eye, she thinks, oh, here's a victim, I can get him back home.
0: Right. Mm. But yeah, I don't know why she even targeted him. Like he was minding his business. (laughs) Well,
2: but but again, nevertheless, I
1: mean, we we know he's in a gay bar, but it's never it's never explicitly stated by him or any other character um, how
2: he identifies as himself. So so I do have a question about this. Mm -hmm. Is this the same bar or are these meant to be different bars? Because I'm pretty sure it's one set and they're dressing it slightly different, but it also looks exactly the same.
0: I took it that
1: it was the same bar. So I did too, but the thing is, though, the guy that hits on him, like, says, he it's, a says it's a gay bar. Yeah. yeah. And so yeah, I, I was also, because we, we then cut to the next scene where it's unclear if, again, that Jonathan is in the same bar when he's meeting the Temptress or if he has moved over to the bar, bar hop to wherever the Temptress is. Right. Maybe it's
0: the night. You know how sometimes they have, like, particular nights? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Maybe. I, I don't know. Because we know that with the bartender um well the first one like he is dead so mm-hmm. right. um, i just took that as as that you know and then obviously the the new one he can't work every single night
2: <laughs> he can when it's on
1: a budget well, do, 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 do we do we see dougie in this scene because i think i always assume wherever dougie
2: is it's always the same bar but maybe we, maybe we, he's also bar hopping we do see dougie in this scene yeah, yeah and dougie is the bill Nunn character
0: and that's when he says that that um he was telling the girl that he was like a Ninja surgeon or something, I don't the Kung know. Kung fu yeah. surgeon, <laughs> yes, no,
1: f- for sure. But again, I- I'm thinking myself. Oh, he's at the same bar all the time. But when we find out later, because he's a cop and he's undercover, he also might be bar hopping. So this might meant be, this might
2: be meant to be a different bar. <laughs> Yeah, I think this is actually one of the budget restrictions. Like, Mm -hmm. it it could be that they were trying to make it different bars, but they just didn't have the budget to dress them differently enough. Or that it's meant to be like, yeah, this is every bar New York. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) So we should mention that we have also jumped over one of the main characters. So we should probably double back and just say, as we're meeting Norman, so in between Norman getting killed and Jonathan getting killed, Mm -hmm. we see that Joel is struggling with his faith. He feels a little bit suffocated by grandma. So he ends Mm -hmm. up calling his cousin Kay, who is played by Kadeem Hardison. And Kay is like, why don't you just get out of North Carolina and come visit me in the big city? You can crash on my couch. That easy, right? <laughs> sure. You you just <laughs> take a bus from North Carolina to the big city.
0: I'm surprised that he didn't drive. I, yeah. But okay, it's, just, it's okay. Is <laughs> it?
2: <laughs>
1: Yeah, but again, how how long have we been talking about this movie? And again, we haven't had much of Joel yet because so much of the focus mm-hmm. of the film has been on the temptress and her, and her victims.
2: Yeah, and even what little we are getting of Joel, it's like, I don't want to say it's paint by numbers, but it's not revealing a great deal about him outside of his struggles with faith. And even that, we don't really know what his real issue with it feels more like he's just not as certain on his path as grandma is so you Mm -hmm. know before he leaves we see the shot of him putting the bible in the drawer and then of course we get these great shots of the temptress it feels like she's ever present because we'll cut to her and we get the red light across her eyes and we see her in the backyard but it's kind of like okay she's She's keeping an eye on him. She's sort of stalking him from afar. But that doesn't tell us anything about Joel. Well, I, I actually think... And maybe
1: I'm wrong here. But I actually think that, like us, Bond is more interested in the succubus than he is in his main character. Which, again, he is playing himself but it, it, the only thing is again these themes of religion and morality they they seem diluted because they they are the focus of the film but they also don't seem to be the focus of the film
0: like i i agree with you too and i think that he wanted to showcase like uh the, the temptress but then also he wanted to showcase the character Kay. because right. sometimes yeah. even when when you think about it like when someone's like religious or um like uh, kind of like people like Joel. I mm-hmm. feel like people refer to them as you know, goody two shoes. They right. kind of don't want to know too much about the person, you yeah. know. Um, and then honestly, truth be told, I really don't think that we would have seen like say if they did have it more from his point of view. I really don't think that we would have seen much, you know, because it seemed like he had like a a very much obviously different lifestyle than Kay
2: right
1: yeah you can make, it'd be like fright night you know where we're all we're all seeing from his point of view and he and like we don't meet the succubus until I don't know later or right. it's not really clear that she's a succubus until later whereas this movie is like no 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 no, no first scene here you go here's your succubus yeah. this is what you paid to come
2: see <laughs> Honestly, this movie is, it it seems to understand that the succubus is the driving factor, and then it's like, oh, right, we should probably have somebody who's going to do battle with this character. (laughs) Let's get Joel in here, but let's put him on a bus so that we can spend a bit more time with Kay.
0: Yeah. 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 (laughs) I mean, yeah, okay.
2: (laughs) And Kay is awesome. I love Kay in this movie. (laughs) I think this is actually my other issue with Joel, is that every time Joel is in a scene, I'm thinking about Kay because Kay is just more exciting. And I do think mm-hmm. that Hardison is a more dynamic performer than the director himself. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, I mean, again, I, I chalk this up to the role, though. I mean, I, like, you, you put Kadeem Harrison in the Joel role. I mean, I, I he'd give it more charisma, but I don't think there's really much here on the page for Joel to be like, oh, yeah, like I, now you've won me over.
0: <laughs> right, yeah. right. And it, I mean, with Kay, like he's the performer, you mm-hmm. know, cause he's a charmer and He just, he dresses better than him. You know, Mm -hmm. he's more with the times. He's, you know, in more ways, relatable.
1: And speaking of Kay, though, that's where we are in the film, because he finally meets the Temptress as
2: her maybe soon-to-be fourth, well, fourth-for-us victim. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, so this scene is interesting because uh, Death by Temptation enjoys doing this, where, you know, we've met Kay a couple of times at this point, because (laughs) Joel has called him, and he's encouraged him to come, and so on. And then yeah we see Kay in the bar he matches eyes with the temptress they go over to a little alcove so they can have a private conversation he's obsessed with her nails she thinks she recognizes him and it's at this point in the film that we learn he is a famous actor
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> i'm like death by temptation stop holding things so close to the vest
0: and you know what what i like like about it too like you can see like the the, the Temptress, uh, Cynthia Bond, like mm-hmm. oh man, like I love her as an actress. Oh, great. And oh my everything. god. And yes. You could just see it in her face like her facial expressions like where it's like yeah and k described her perfectly like yeah she just seems like she's a really sweet you know woman Mm -hmm. you know like someone you can bring home you know or whatever but then it's just like the way she was looking at him when he was like writing down his number like oh my god like you know that that sounds cheesy i was gonna say oh because you know (laughs) if looks could kill but you know but that (laughs) with that line it's actually true you know
2: well i i love that Instead of having to listen to them do too too much banter, we actually get to see a whole imaginary date compressed (laughs) into these visuals. So like, so we get sexy sexy jazz. uh, Oh my god, (laughs) saxophone! It's doing. you know, it's a spotlight. We've got the blue mist that. going on and then they're back in her bed. She's feeding him bananas, which I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah. We're we're doing food stuff now. Here we go.
0: They're in love already, you know. It's just the sax the random saxophone man. You mm-hmm. know, that's in the back gosh
2: yeah it's this guy and then uh the guy from lost boys right (laughs) like give us more (laughs) films (laughs) with sexy sex because this this is like a dream sequence or a hallucination right (laughs) so this is i think this is a glimpse into how she gets these men so hooked on her like Mm -hmm. this is what she's giving them it's this fantasy Got it, got it, got it. Um, well, nevertheless, uh, I was really rooting for these kids in this
1: scene. I really, really wanted something good for ha- to happen to them. <laughs> but what do you
0: think? I don't know about you guys, but um, and I know it's it's clearly because she has like you know supernatural powers. <laughs> but when I met my significant other, I was not, I did not have a daydream about me feeding him bananas or grapes or. <laughs> oh my or god!
1: Some- <laughs> my, my my husband hated me when he met me. We did not. Have oh a my gosh! To- <laughs>
0: mine too. <laughs> Wait, what did you do? (laughs) Oh, my God. I have to tell you off air. (laughs) 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 I
1: was just a little
0: bit too obnoxious for him, I guess. But I don't care. I knew I was going to marry him and have his babies. So.
1: You know Uh what? No, it's okay. When I met my husband, I was 21. He was 23. But I was a very nasty and messy 21 who liked to get blackout
2: drunk and belligerent quite often. So. (laughs) So, wait. What's changed? Okay, right. Moving on. (laughs) I'm a functioning alcoholic. There (laughs) we go. Okay. So yeah, the fantasy ends and it's only after it's over that we realize that that wasn't actually happening because he's still there. He's just now getting up so that he can go and meet Joel at his apartment. And when he turns around, she's already gone. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Love it. Okay, so we transition over to Kay's apartment as he's letting Joel in. He's giving him the one-room tour, which doesn't scream famous actor, but again, I think it's a limitation of the small budget the film is working with. I do love the Reagan bus. I do love that we have a seemingly loaded machine gun that Kay has just been allowed to keep from his films. (laughs) Well, Okay, I'm actually really glad that you said it was from of those I was like, wow, he
1: just like keeps his... Gu-. I thought he was like trying to make a statement about how it's dangerous in the city. So you have to have your guns and
2: your knives on hand at all times. Right? I mean, it could also be that, right? Like, we are still talking about New York City. And a large portion of this film is dedicated to Joel not being able to take care of himself outside of North Carolina. Yeah, well, unfortunately, yeah. a gun will not help Kay at the end of this movie. Uh, this is true. Yeah, that gun never comes into play. I th- no. I thought it was a weird red herring and then I'm like, no, it's just a prop. <laughs> <laughs> so we do get a title card. Not sure why we needed the title card, but it does say the next day. <laughs> we have we have some of these a lot though. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's it's just an an interesting creative choice but uh, yeah so Kay is describing this woman that he met at the bar she's so amazing this is unfortunately juxtaposed with Jonathan being murdered yeah and then we're moving into the first night out so Joel is now been here for a day let's get him out and getting him experiencing New York City so we do a fucking fashion montage ladies and gentlemen <laughs> and I love it <laughs>
0: Me too. Those outfits. You know, the 90s. Oh my God. So 90s. So great.
2: Uh, A fun little detail is we also get to see the Temptress put her stockings on telekinetically.
0: I wish I could do that. (laughs) I mean, I don't wear stockings. No more
2: runs ever, right? Are stockings and tights the same thing? Uh, Tights are usually a little thicker, right?
0: Aren't they? yeah, yeah I, I don't know i the last time i wore tights i think i was in kindergarten for my graduation so. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, oh my god I, I know i can google this but I'm, I'm going to assume that a stocking though is one for each leg whereas
2: tights it's just oh, one yeah. thing that you raise up over your waist right okay yeah i think you're right
0: oh my god someone's hmm. probably yelling at me
2: right now oh well stockings i think are the things that used to come in those giant eggs I don't know what that but means. But you have no idea what I'm talking yeah. about, do Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs>
1: continue, continue. Okay,
2: okay. So, uh, it, we've been sort of skipping over that amusing joke that every time we see Dougie, he's an absolutely fucking terrible person who also <laughs> cannot flirt with women. Like, his attempts at game with these women is <laughs> just atrocious. Mm-hmm. Then we're at the bar, and all of a sudden Joel reveals, "Oh, I've met someone." And Kay's like, "Oh my god, we've been here for two seconds. Who is it?" Wait, I'm I'm <laughs> sorry. Just really quick about Dougie.
1: I just thought this line was really funny because he's talking to this model who he claimed he's seen in a penthouse, penthouse magazine. Yeah, she's really authentic. She's like, "No, it was Vogue." But then she tells him, "Yeah, I bet you date Fistina and Palmet pretty steady." <laughs> god, <laughs> Like, Fistina? <laughs>
0: think is funny like when we we just think that you know ducky is just ridiculous like Mm -hmm. you know but then when you find out that he's a cop that means that he's just bored like he was just poking fun at these women like Mm -hmm. he could clearly just be a normal person you know and (laughs) just try to talk to them normal but i mean i guess he was bored i don't know
1: no he's like playing a role he's deep undercover now granted (laughs) might he actually talk to him in this way it's possible maybe, we don't know maybe. unfortunately I because don't we don't not. ever really see Dougie <laughs> out of his element but um but nevertheless I will say yeah that that reveal was a subversion that I did not expect to come out of this movie
2: oh absolutely not my biggest criticism is just that it it's not obvious enough so all of a sudden I was like wait he's a cop and we're yeah. only learning about yeah. this now and it's not like Yes, I've been doing this undercover because I'm following her. It's very much like, yeah, I've been working supernatural cases. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I think there's something weird about the chick with the gold nails. And yes, also, I'm an undercover cop. <laughs> also, men keep disappearing. So here we are. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, Dougie. You're kind of shit. You keep seeing her leave with men, and then they are missing and or yeah. dead. Like,
0: like, he. what more proof do you need? Like, I never... <laughs> Maybe, I maybe tail
2: that. her back to her apartment and see if mm-hmm. the men come out and if not, arrest her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so sadly enough, Joel brings the temptress over and she... Claims not to recognize Kay at all, and then she and Joel basically go over to the other part of the bar, and this is where Kay and Dougie start to connect. And neither of them really trust the temptress, but it could just be that Kay is jealous because he will reveal mm. that later too,
1: for sure. But I do like yeah. Whenever she walks up to Kay, she's like, "Hi, Kay. I met you that yeah. one
2: time <laughs> at the club." <laughs> Extreme gaslighting. She's fantastic <laughs> at it.
0: And I love when she says, like, when he's just, he realizes that he, that she doesn't have, like, a reflection. Mm Mm-hmm. And then he, she says to him, oh, something, something the matter, Kay, or something wrong, Kay, and it's, like, an echo in, like, her face, but then Joel comes back, Uh you know, and she's all nice again.
2: Oh, I love the voice modulation that she ends up using.
0: It's
1: really fun. That also feels like Fright Night, though. Again, in the scene when uh, Roddy McDowell discovers that he can't see his reflection.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, they end up returning home, Kay and Joel do. I, I do love that the Temptress is also kinda lazy, where she's just like, Yeah, I guess I'm not gonna put in the effort tonight. I don't need to kill someone. <laughs> I just imagine her like she's um oh my god, Laura Flamboyle from Men in
1: Black Two, and she eats that man behind the bush and she walks out and she's just got like a stomach full of man. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> she's like, I'm full tonight. <laughs> I don't need to eat somebody today. I'm I'm good with the sex juice, yeah. god (laughs) so i would argue this is where we really start to get more about joel like we we saw a conversation when they first woke up before we had the passion montage but this is Kay being jealous and trying to nitpick a little bit at joel when he says you know would you ever sleep with a woman um i'm sorry would you jump in those drawers (laughs) (laughs) this movie has great slang i'm i'm not gonna lie
0: I want to start to say
2: that. <laughs> jump in those drawers.
1: Why? you going to say that to your kids. Like, you going to jump in them drawers? <laughs> don't do it.
2: She might be a succubus. She might be a succubus. You don't know. Uh, Joel, however, is very adamant that fornication is a sin. And he insists that he can look after himself. And it's like, okay, okay. He cannot. He cannot. No. no. <laughs> he can't we...
0: even dress himself.
2: No. <laughs> yeah, Exactly. So just in case you forgot grandma is still a character in this movie she'll become important so we need to cut back to her just kind of despondently looking at a picture of young Joel and meanwhile Temptress is kind of doing the same thing and she ends up making the picture's eyes bleed and it's really good. Yeah, it's so because I,
1: I I feel like this must have been released the same year that the It miniseries aired on ABC. It is, yeah. There's something with a bleeding picture in that too. But I will tell you right now, this scene—the the, the picture of Joel—is creepy as fuck. I've never yeah, seen a creepier yeah, yeah. child. <laughs> 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 um, no, I, 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 I think it's intact, I think it's warped or something to make it look. I don't think this is actually this child. I think because he he almost has like the Joker smile. Um, his eyes are like <laughs> black as night, like. <laughs> He looks soulless, and then his eyes start to bleed, and I was like, oh my god, it is
2: terrifying, it is terrifying, and I love that she's playing with this snake the entire time. Yeah, so this is the moment where Temptation shows up to pick up Joel for their day-date, and Kay is basically like, I know you're lying to me and I know you recognize me and she just turns it on and it's so fucking good. Yeah. Like, Cynthia Button is so good in this moment and then she's like, okay, Joel, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is when Kay realizes that she has no reflection and it stuns him so badly he doesn't even try to stop Joel from leaving with her. <laughs>
1: well, I-, I do like, though, that Joel asks him later, why didn't you tell me earlier? And he's like, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah.
2: Because in any other movie, it'd be like, oh, he doesn't realize this until far later, or he's really mad at Joel, so he decides not to say anything. And here it just seems like he's so legitimately stunned that he's taken off guard And by the time he realizes, oh, I should say something. Oh, Joel's already gone. Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, this is where we get the reveal that Dougie is an undercover cop and we start to cross cut. So we're seeing Joel and Temptation on their date and they're getting very close. And meanwhile, Kay and Dougie go to see Madame Sonia, who is played by Mel Moore. She is a medium who basically gives them an info exposition dump about what they can expect from a succubus. And then the Temptress takes over her body and threatens Kay and Dougie. And it's great.
1: Okay, it But, if, hey, so first, another Scooby-Doo connection. Because, yeah, she has to find the a truly innocent soul in order to to, to have her way. So, mm-hmm. haha, more Scooby-Doo. But the comedic beat that we get from Kay... <laughs> Whenever Dougie's like, can we just put the soul to rest and we decompose the body with holy water, then cut up the heart while it's still beating and bury it beneath hollow ground. (laughs) And (laughs) Kay's face is like, what?
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's when you're like, oh, Kay has not been living in this supernatural world that maybe Dougie has been. I mean, I was trying to spot the causes of death that he was scrolling through on the computer. And some of those look like X-Files
1: cases. (laughs) But yeah, th- this possession scene is fantastic. I mean, yeah, this scene just primarily acts as an exposition dump, but it's fine because mm-hmm. you know what? It's uh, the visiting the medium sequence is akin to a microfiche sequence to me. It's like oh, you know sure. what? We just we've got to have this to get to move the plot forward, and if we get yeah. a really cool possession out of it, like I, I was thinking a lot of um the the scene in Witchboard. Is it Witchboard? Yep. Yes, the mm-hmm. scene in Witchboard, but the, again, the, the standout scene of that movie, which is of course the seance scene.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah always and forever we love a seance we love a medium Mm -hmm. i also do love that temptation basically just steps away to quote-unquote go to the bathroom she's like i'm gonna possess this medium and then i'm gonna come back for dessert (laughs) be right back hold my drink (laughs) Yeah, basically just gotta do this
1: one thing
0: i always wondered what happened to that bartender after he gave her the holy water? Oh no, I'm jumping ahead. I'm sorry.
1: You, you 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 are jumping ahead, um, but I have an answer for you when we get there, so keep that in your back pocket.
2: Okay, okay. We're we're nearly there. So the next scene that we see, you could argue that it could be removed from the film and not really cause much, but we get this vision of Joel's where he is in the bar and he sees all of the men that Temptation yeah. mm-hmm. has killed. And while I don't think it necessarily does a lot to advance the plot, again, it is just such a fucking showcase for Ernest R. Dickerson. Like, this looks so atmospheric and great.
0: I love this scene. It always creeps me out. Like, the coloring, the way that she's walking towards him, like, all the just dead gooey guys in the back, like, Mm -hmm. it's crazy.
1: Because also, the way we are introduced to this scene is it's a shot of Joel running down, like, the foggy New York streets Mm -hmm. with Temptation's, like, red eyes superimposed over the screen, which I is a beautiful shot, but... I also like the idea. So I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, you know, we're narratively. Do we need this scene? Maybe not. But I like the idea that all of the tempt- uh, the temptress's victims are in this purgatory, which is just the bar she picks them up at.
2: Yeah, purgatory is a New York bar where you can't drink and you can't get laid. Well, and we also learned that uh, the AIDS guy, Norm,
1: uh, his wife shot him. Okay.
2: Grim. So Kay tries to reason with Joel that the Temptress is bad news, but unfortunately Joel can see that Kay is also dealing with his own jealousy issues. And then if he was about to make any progress, this is when temptation is just like, no. <laughs> and he's like <laughs> back on her side. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, So this is when Kay kicks him out. He's like, okay, well, you can't stay here. You need to go home to North Carolina. You clearly cannot look after yourself. And then he and Dougie put in place this plan where they're going to ask the bartender, the second bartender, to spike the temptress's drink with holy water because this will make her scream and convulse and it's all good and fun. He is not
1: sneaky about this at at all. (laughs) He might as well be screaming, I'm roofing your
2: drink as he like looks at her as he's pouring this holy water in her drink. <laughs> so I'm confused. Do you two think that this is a performance that she's putting on where she's like, oh no, holy water, ow, it burn so much. Or do you think it actually does hurt her, but she's still strong enough that she can sort of get out of it and nearly stab Dougie?
0: I didn't think that it was a performance. I thought that she, it really did hurt her. You yeah know, but i don't think that they were quick enough you know maybe they didn't even i mean it just it seemed like it was like super duper temporary you know what i mean okay yeah,
1: yeah i agree with you i actually do think it was real as well the only thing is it does make her look stupid if only because like it seems like she knows what he's doing exactly. it seems like she yeah but again maybe she's like fuck it maybe it won't hurt me this time right <laughs> or she's like mm, whatever i'll i'll just do this and it'll be okay <laughs> or or maybe she thinks it's actually a roofie and therefore that won't hurt her
2: maybe yeah. Maybe. Needless to say, it does not work, so Kay and Dougie have to run out. The car is missing, so they go in their own separate directions. Uh, Dougie ends up lagging down this bartender, and he's now revealed to suddenly be a demon out of yeah. nowhere. So, so th-
1: this bartender, this poor guy, is just
2: doomed to be a demon chauffeur for the rest of his life? Or I'm sorry, the rest of his <laughs> afterlife? <laughs> well, I'm I'm curious. Do either of you understand when or how this happened?
0: I guess that she was. She got him in the in the bar. He was the only one that was left because Kay and and Dougie ran out of there. And I'm hoping that maybe he just died because she died when she died. You know,
1: Hmm.
0: Maybe. it's unclear.
1: Which again, I mean, there may be an entire scene that's missing from this movie, or maybe they didn't have the budget to shoot a written scene.
2: Yeah, because this is the last that we'll ever see of this character, right? Is just when he's in the car with Dougie. Well. But the the, the sequel tease at the end. He's still
1: the yeah, driver of the car. He's at the end. No, that's yeah. K.
0: It's it just reminded me of um Vampire in Brooklyn. Uh,
1: wait, 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 I'm sorry. How does it remind you of Vampire in Brooklyn?
0: At the end of Vampire in Brooklyn, Julius, who's played by Kadim Hardison, yeah. he turns into a vampire and he's now smooth and, and everything. So now his um I think I believe it was like his uncle um is yeah. is his driver. So it was kind of like Instead of because he used to be a ghoul, Julius, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, and so then now he's all smooth and suave and you know, vampire and stuff. Mm-hmm. So it just kind of reminded me of that.
1: I- I've only seen Vampire Brooklyn once, and it was like back when Wes Craven died. So I was like going through all of my blind spots for him. So it's, been, I-, I don't remember too much of that, but I-, I-, I can I can see where you're coming from.
2: But Joe, I'm sorry, he, uh, Kay is the driver at the end of this movie, mm hmm. That's what Wikipedia Shit. told mm-hmm.
0: me. He's like a demon man
2: yeah so the bartender has been replaced seemingly by Kay. but dougie is the one who gets out of the car and he's now like an incubus of sorts yes okay Mm -hmm. then yeah i don't i don't know what happens to this bartender (laughs) (laughs) i mean it's probably just a bit of a drop plot thread like he's a bit of a nothing character he gets maybe a couple lines in the entire film so it's not a big deal
1: well he is the linchpin
2: of their heist but sure (laughs) eh whatever (laughs) So we follow Temptress as she begins her seduction of Joel. And this is where Kay kind of returns home. So, you know, we've seen Dougie get attacked in the back of the bartender's car. And then this is what's happened to Kay. He comes home and in a very (laughs) Videodrome-esque sequence, he is absorbed into the television. And then it just sprays out... What seems to be all of the blood and liquid in his body into his yeah. apartment, and then we see a skull come out, and this is the fucking standout sequence of this film. Mm-hmm. It,
1: well, it's, it, I saw all the video drum comparisons, but don't you get a bit of Nightmare on Elm Street in this, too? I did, with the skull Ooh, at the yeah. end. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, but also because, like, um, uh, uh, I mean, oh, I guess it comes afterwards, but Freddy's dead when Breck and Myra get sucked into the TV. Um, it mm-hmm. looks very similar to that. But And then, we yeah, we have this giant... Uh, inflatable Ronald Reagan hovering over the TV as (laughs) Mm -hmm. and this is the thing that like that invites Kay towards the TV screen of Sora almost Mm -hmm. right yeah and given that we're dealing with a film that does explicitly reference the AIDS crisis uh, I don't think that's a coincidence
0: same
2: I mean Reagan is not good for the black community either so it's interesting that it this to me feels very much like a pointed critique that Reagan has fucked over the black community and led to a lot of deaths so unfortunately Kay is questionably out of the film and we are left now just with Joel we'll see how well he can handle himself so he has a dream that he's discovered in bed with temptation by his father and then he awakens to discover that it's actually her straddling him and this is when grandma literally (laughs) breaks down the door
0: She's the best. <laughs>
2: She's so funny. Well, but uh, the, the whole
1: thing with this scene, because again, the, the, we have that line earlier when either the grandma or Samuel Jackson like tells him, you know, oh, I, when you're about to reach your goal, you're going to have to make a choice. It's going to mm-hmm. be a crossroads. And this this mm-hmm. is obviously that choice. And, you know, we haven't, like, he's envisioning his dad calling him a fornicator. And he's like, wait, that's not my dad. My dad's dead. I, while I agree, I think grandma coming in and like, you know, she kicks ass for the Lord. Uh, that's great. But... Unfortunately, this emotional journey of Joel's, I'm just like, ooh, dude, I don't really care. I don't care. I hope you live. Good for you. But, like, I don't care about the spiritual journey of yours. But I don't know if that's the movies failing or if it's just my general bias against, you know, religion in general.
0: Maybe because um, it did kind of take some time for you to – for us to see Joel. Because mm-hmm. we really didn't spend a lot of time with it. Not that that's a, I, – I don't think it's a bad thing. No. We really spoke about that. So maybe that's what it is. And plus, on top of that, at that point, you know – Where's Kay? We we miss him.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much so. I think if Because the film seems very much trying to say this is the point of this movie, like the, 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 right. the spiritual journey mm-hmm. of his and making sure he doesn't taint his innocent blood and all that. Yeah. And if it wasn't doing that, I'd be kind of less bothered by the fact that I don't care about this as much um, or, or the, the, the film didn't devote enough time to it. But because this is the climax of the film, it seems like that really is the message Bond is trying to get across, which... I have conflicting feelings about it anyway, because I'm like, oh, but like, those are really conservative yeah. values that, that we're mm-hmm. pushing forward here.
2: Yeah, but I, I, Zena, I'd like to hear your thoughts, because you talked about this film with former guest Brian Christopher for his column series, Let's Scare Brian to Death. And mm-hmm. in it, you talked about how you appreciated that this was a positive depiction of like religion and faith.
0: I say that because when it comes with the character Joel, he just, he seemed a little bit nerdy, you know, he's just nerdy and geeky but what I've noticed when there are movies where they, they have like a character who's religious mm-hmm. they'll have them be like, looked at as if they're some kind of freak or there's something wrong with them or right. you know, this is the only thing that, that, that they want to talk about, you know mm. and like anything, when it comes with, in my opinion, when it comes like with, with religion, no, you can't just take a break from re- religion, you know, mm-hmm. kind of like what he did. But in a way, I can understand because he did have a lot of pressure on himself to do that. And yeah. I like the fact that he didn't give in to this and and it's not just only because it's like a temptress but she is a beautiful woman that is just like wow like not saying hey you should have did that but it's like she she (laughs) didn't approach him like she approached everyone else she knew how to approach him and even the way she was speaking and you know she just I don't know it seemed like they could have been a thing if she she wasn't demonic you know so I think when it comes with for me when it comes to Joel I really like him as a character. I know that we really don't get to see him on screen a lot. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, when it comes to the, with the succubus, her whole goal is to, you know, go after these men who are unfaithful. And if she's able to do, I mean, clearly, because we kind of talked about that earlier, like oh. um, with with the dad and with uh, his family before. So I think that maybe that probably would have even made her even more powerful or made her live longer or something if she was able to get the last of, you know, his family line, which is him because it ended at him, you know. So to me, it just came off um, like it was positive because it's kind of like a happy, I mean, not so much for everyone else, but it was a happy <laughs> ending for, for him. The fact that, you know, this actually is your path. You know, and he was the one who it seems like he had the power and he always he always had the power, he always had the strength to be able to defeat this succubus, but it took him to realize that you know so so that's why i've always thought that it was like um with his character that it was positive like yeah he's geeky and i'm pretty sure we've seen this before whenever we're watching a show like i think there was a movie that i watched uh the the it wasn't a haunting movie something i think the movie it was like Molly Hartley something the haunting
1: oh my god but, uh, i'm sorry there is the exorcism of Molly Hartley and the that haunting one. of Molly Hartley oh my god
0: okay it's it's the haunting it's the one when she's in high school
1: okay yeah yeah the one with haley bennett
0: yes And so with that, there's a girl who's in school and they always call her like a Jesus freak. You know what I Mm -hmm. mean? So we always see that kind of character, but it was just nice. And it was refreshing to see a character like this, especially again, you know, around the time when we would see uh, black characters on screen, like black men. It's like, oh, he's from the hood or he's in a gang. And it's just like, no, he's just from this really extremely small town. He's very sheltered, you know, so it, it just felt refreshing.
1: Right, I guess uh, thematically for me, because ministers can marry, obviously we mm-hmm. we know that because it's a Catholic priest that cannot marry. So I I almost think I almost wonder if he was Catholic instead because it's like oh you you're cheating on God with me because the whole thing is yeah like, priests are married to God and mm-hmm. for, for lack of a better phrase. Um, whereas with this, it's just, uh, no, you can't have premarital sex. That That's mm-hmm. the thing, which I get that that is a belief,
2: obviously, in a lot of religions. But I feel like the the
1: dramatic weight of it isn't there fully for me.
2: Yeah, I can feel that, too. I, I'm seeing both sides of this because I think if we look at Joel's arc, like if we look at the film as being from his point of view, this is absolutely kind of an uplifting tale. It's about a guy whose faith has wandered and then he finds his way back to it. By overcoming some like really dangerous circumstances. But then he realizes he's made the right choice. And he and his grandma are fine. I think the problem is that the film doesn't make it clear that Joel is that sort of point of view fixture. Because Mm -hmm. so much of these other characters are woven in. And also the temptress is really interesting. So it's hard to see this as Joel's film. He's He just so happens to be the protagonist. So I think if we spent more time with him if we got more invested in his journey or his struggle or knew more about him in that way it would land better but yeah then from my perspective i look at this and says oh everybody who isn't religious in this movie is either converted into a demon or killed and it's like (laughs) that's not a great message that is pretty conservative
1: but at the same time i mean it's not like those those aren't common values, especially in America in the year 1990. Sure, sure,
0: sure. I mean, I mainly took it as with the... She seemed to just be targeting, like, those unfaithful men. Not saying that they deserved, you know, all no, of no, that. No. But um, she... It seemed like it was... I guess that they were also trying to showcase, like, uh, maybe it's not modern hell, but, like, uh evil on Earth type of thing. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, where it's just, it is very much modern, and it comes in, like, different forms, you -hmm. know? And then even with us talking about his movie, it's it's why I feel like it has the potential to be, like, a sequel. Of course, because of the ending, but then also because, you know, kind of like what I said, it, like, you know, obviously evil comes in different forms. So it may not be like sexually or even through religion. You know what I mean? There could be people, obviously people are money hungry type Mm -hmm. of thing. So it was Mm -hmm. just, even if you don't, you know, believe in that stuff or even if you're not religious, I just think that it's it's like an interesting point of view.
2: Yeah. 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 I could do it with more succubus films, and it would be interesting to see this positioned as, oh, it's more about money now and less mm-hmm. about sex or something. But Well,
1: I mean, again, like, I, I, I didn't
2: realize this was a succubus until you told me that last
1: week. So I, I, the past two years, I have thought this was a vampire movie. Yeah. yeah. And, now, and now that I've seen this, though, I'm like, oh, I actually, I'm surprised we haven't delved more into the world of succubi and incubi. Like, that's yeah. actually a really interesting horror creature that... Again, I'm surprised we haven't done more. Joe, imagine an erotic thriller done with a succubus.
0: That'd be awesome.
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, you could kind of argue that's a little bit of what species is. I'll also give a gentle shout out to a Canadian sci-fi show called Lost Girl, which features a bisexual succubus who is caught between her love affair with a werewolf and a female human doctor. Um, what?
0: (laughs) (laughs) That sounds awesome. It, It
2: often gets described as a Canadian buffy. It's interesting. Oh, wow. Shit. Okay. Well, I might be looking that up soon. Yeah. It's fun. It's like very episodic, but the people are all really hot and they like to have sex. <laughs> uh anyway, so so maybe let's let's wrap up this climax yeah. because I feel like I really want to get your opinions about uh, the Temptress's transformation because <laughs> I thought this creature design was really interesting looking. It reminded <laughs> me of a lot
1: of um like like bava, like demons.
2: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: I love it. So good. And
2: especially when she starts melting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm actually really disappointed to hear that that was directed by Lloyd Kaufman standing in for Dickerson because mm-hmm. I love the way that we kind of do. I was trying to look up the technical term and I'm so far out of film school at this point that I can't even remember. But like basically when we reverse the traditional look of the image, so it looks like it's been exposed or something as she's melting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm no nothing Nothing? yeah sure (laughs) somebody who's been through film school sooner than us will be able to tell us but uh, that's fine (laughs) yeah I I just like all the stuff it's basically you know we get a lit up cross uh, we've got all sorts of like fun wind and neon lighting effects and then yeah Mm -hmm. she goes melts and it's good it's so good
0: it
2: is. But the movie is not over because we do have...
1: I mean, do y'all think this is a sequel tease?
0: To me, I, I thought that it was, and I, I waited for it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> still waiting, huh? I'm
0: still waiting, yeah. Aww.
2: This feels to me like how we how we used to end films, even when we weren't necessarily thinking about sequel, but it's like, we're always leaving the door slightly open, like there's no such thing as a threat that's been put down permanently. There's always a, "Mm, the story could continue. I'm not necessarily suggesting we will, but here it is. So yeah, we, we get Dougie being revealed to be now an incubus and he is using even the same lines that we saw temptation use earlier in the film. And, uh, the last image we see in this movie is Joel back to running down a foggy New York alleyway, And it seems like the evil has not been vanquished, which maybe undercuts our conservative reading because it's like, oh, well, he got his sort of happy ending, but the evil is still out there.
1: Well, I mean, I I just read it as no matter what, especially if you're a man of God, like temptation is never going to stop chasing you, be it it the demon, the succubus or just temptation in general. So it's it's visualizing like, again, it's a daily struggle. It's almost like addiction, right? Like temptation (laughs) is always going to be there. Mhm. Yeah. Um but, but Zena, so, but I know I mentioned that Toxic Avenger remake happening. Uh I I think it's like Elijah Wood and stuff. But again, like they're going it's coming out. I wouldn't be surprised if if that does well we maybe start to see a bit more trauma adaptations come out, or remakes, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. continuations, or sequels. Um, I mean, like, what was just announced a month ago, where we're we getting like, Tubi doing the Terror Train remake, which isn't trauma, yeah. but it's just like, again, a random, it's like, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> How did that happen?
2: Yeah, maybe we're moving back into a new era of remakes, in which case, Zina, you need to flex that uh, 10k plus follower <gasps> clout, and be like, babies, hit me up, I will executive <laughs> produce your, your death by...
0: <laughs> I have ideas, I I actually have a script on standby, ready to go. Ooh. Oh, my God. Like, I again, I'm in it to win it type of thing. Please hire me.
2: Lloyd Kaufman, if you are listening. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I would love to see a female take on this
1: property as well. Well, and that's right? but that's what I'm saying. I mean, if, if you want to continue... Well, I don't know what your script is, Zena. But like, if you want to continue this, do it as an incubus. Or do you think in today's climate, we actually should have it remain a succubus?
0: Uh, okay, so I'll tell you guys off of it. I don't want somebody to be like, oh, I'm inspired. I'm going to take her idea. I don't
1: know. <laughs> we, 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 can cu- we, we can cut it out.
0: Okay, yeah. So, so the idea that I have uh, with my writing partner, we have the idea that... Because it just makes a lot of sense for that to happen. And then on top of that, but because my idea is for him to have and and and, and so. So that was the idea with it, you know? That's pretty
1: cool. I think that's awesome though.
0: Really? You're not yeah. just saying you would tell me like, hey, I don't know. maybe. Oh no. I mean,
1: I mean, I wouldn't tell you it sounds like shit, but I might be like, <laughs>
0: oh you <laughs>
1: <laughs> the high-pitched voice the lying voice um no I think that's I mean a- again like a- it's a movie that you bl- like, that you love clearly mm-hmm. and I just I don't know It, it, it that doesn't sound like cause when I hear oh a super fan writes a sequel or a remake or whatever I'm like oh great it's some bad fan fiction but that doesn't come across like bad fan fiction to me <laughs> right
0: <laughs> and plus I feel like it'll just be fitting, you know, with everything that's going on in the world. Like, I'm so surprised. I mean, the director, he did say people have been approaching him. He said over the years about um, a remake or a sequel. And he kind of just didn't want to. And at one point he did say that he has a script for the sequel. And I'm like, well, where is it? You know, I I didn't say (laughs) I wanted to, but it's just kind of like, you know, what's like the hold up with that? So I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know again why he didn't do it or I'm surprised that there hasn't been one, which is, it's. I don't know, just because we even if it's I know that it's not a perfect movie, you know, Yeah. but I feel like it has a pretty cool storyline and has some creepy stuff that's in it.
2: Well, and I think that for people who are coming to this brand new, like Trace and I, the big thing that stands out is that, yeah, it it has a solid story. There's good bones here. And one of the things that hampers the film the most is that it clearly doesn't have the budget. It needs to be better mm-hmm. So, like, they're doing great with what they have, but it could have been a lot more. And I think in this day and age, if you could get a remake or a sequel or a prequel greenlit, you might be able to argue for more of that money, and then you would be able to deliver on the promise.
0: That's true, yeah.
2: I hope that something like this comes to fruition.
0: Me too. Oh my god, I would be such a happy person. Well, <laughs> <forever. laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> while we keep waiting, everyone, please go back and enjoy Death by Temptation on Shudder or with that Vinegar Syndrome Blu-ray release because I bet that's awesome. It has just a 90-minute interview with Bond on that as well.
2: Yeah, I did not get to that. I just spent a lot of time kind of looking and stroking the cover because i actually think the cover for the vinegar syndrome release is much better than the original poster as it well it is
0: it is yeah yeah
2: that poster's not very good it's just it's <laughs> it's more stylistically in the spirit of what the film actually is it looks like they maybe tried to sell the film originally in 1990 based on like bond's relationship with spike lee mm, that makes sense that makes
1: sense yeah well Okay, everyone. So that has been Death by Temptation. And before we announce it, we're covering next week. First of all, Zena, thank you for returning and for coming to talk about this movie. I'm really glad we got you had to introduce this to us.
0: Yes. Thank you both so much. Like, I always have such a good time. And I was going to say this earlier when we did um, Urban Legends. Like, every single time I watch it now, I think of you guys. Aww. <laughs> Uh, with, the, with the main girl, I think that we had a discussion on her when, um, what's the guy named that she had a crush on Trevor or something, but oh, she yeah, God, the he failed or the something. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, he got like a bad grade, but she's like, well, hey, can I
1: take can your I, project? I? Yeah.
0: Yeah, like it was, like, it was so <laughs> selfish.
1: That was also our
0: Paolo and Isabella
1: from the Lizzie McGuire movie. Yeah, oh, <laughs> shut up. Shut up. <laughs> but but Zena, let everyone know where can they find you on social media
0: sure so on twitter you guys can find me at lovely Zena. then i'm on uh facebook instagram youtube real queen of horror and then also uh bloody Discussing podcast it's a weekly podcast i'm the co-host i give you guys great recommendations
1: Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah, definitely go check that out, everyone. You can find all that in the show notes as well. But if you want to get in touch with us, you can reach us on Twitter and Instagram at Horror Queers. Uh, shoot us an email at horrorqueers at gmail.com. Find us on Letterboxd keep track of all the films we've covered. Uh, go to our YouTube channel where you can watch us interview uh, horror filmmakers and our monthly hangouts where we talk about d- different horror topics with our journalistic peers. And of course, if you want to go chat with other listeners, go join our Facebook Horror Queers group. They're always putting out good things there. If you have a moment, please rate and review us on your podcatcher of choice. And if you want even more content, please support the show by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash horrorqueers. We are halfway through June, so subscribe today and you'll get all this and more. Episodes on our favorite horror movie posters, the new Micah Monroe thriller Watcher, Jurassic World Dominion, The Black Phone, and an audio commentary on Gremlins 2, The New Batch. Yeah. But, Joe, Mm -hmm. we've been going really hard the past couple
2: weeks. So, what are we watching or (laughs) rewatching next week? (laughs) Well, folks, when I think of June, I know it's like a little bit later than what Hollywood says, but I always think of June as kind of the start of the summer movie season. So, it seemed appropriate that, Trace, we should reopen the Patreon door and let a little movie from 2019 escape because it's a superhero film it's the first time we ever covered one so we're gonna release our patreon episode on the new mutants and oh boy the production history on that one is a fucking doozy big doozy but you know what i'm just gonna say it out here not as bad as i expected it to be oh the movie is actually not too too bad people yeah yeah, could stand to give it a try and i think our discussion is really interesting from what i remember of it i agree (laughs) (laughs) sure it was a long time ago (laughs) all right everyone well until
1: next week uh we can cross out death by temptation indeed
2: and cross out horror queers